Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. Open your Bibles to Psalm 23 this morning. So good to have all of you this morning. If you're a guest, definitely connect with us. We want to connect with you. And if you're watching on the, online for the first time, we want to connect with you as well. We're going to take a pause this morning, not a break, but just a little pause in our, our series that we're in this year, Questions God Asked. So we're going to look at this 23rd Psalm. I hope you've been praying and, and reading that. My family and I, we've been doing that. We don't get it read twice a day, but either in the morning or the nighttime, we've always uh, made a, a moment and, and just pause either before they go to bed or before we start our day. And we're kind of reading through this Psalm as well as a prayer and just reminding us of who God is. And uh, I think it's important that we remind ourselves of who God is, amen? Culture does a good job of trying to tell us something else, right? The world, the enemy does a good job of trying to tell us something else about who God is. You know, you ask other people, you know, that maybe aren't believers or don't go to church or maybe they're struggling with their faith and you ever ask a question of who, who is God and you'll get a lot of different answers. Maybe they don't believe in God at all. Maybe they say, well, God's just some make-believe you know, character up in, up in the sky. I mean, you probably heard something like this. He's, you know, I think God is just a mean God because how can a loving God send people to hell? And you get all kind of different answers, right, from people that don't believe or have faith. And I think it's important as Christ followers that we not only have an answer for them, but that we also understand ourselves who God is and, and that he is our heavenly father, that he is, that he wants to have relationship with us, that he's not just some make-believe thought way off in a distant galaxy, but he desires to have a relationship with us this morning. And today I want to take you to Psalm 23. And I think Psalms 23 gives us a good baseline, a pretty good definition, a good picture of who God is. We just read it um, earlier this morning as a church. And when you read Psalms 23, you know, a lot of people, I think it's unfortunate, a lot of people see Psalms 23 as just a psalm that's read at funerals. Uh, and that's probably a good context for it, for sure. Maybe they think it's just a psalm that you read, you know, when you're feeling down, uh, when you're having a hard time, when, when life is being unfair. And I think that's a, a great context as well for, for Psalms 23. Because a lot of times we just kind of picture, you know, Psalm 23, if you don't know, that many theologians and historians attribute Psalm 23 to David. David, King David, who would, you know, fight, face Goliath, that same David, the same David who would uh, have an adulterous affair with Bathsheba, that same David. And a lot of people attribute those Psalms 23 to David as just like a little young teenage shepherd boy. And, and they kind of picture him as like just chilling out in the field and, you know, maybe the sheep are over in the corner doing what sheep do. Bah, and like he's just like laying there with his harp, you know, on, on his chest and kind of just, you know, kick back, relax and, and kind of singing this psalm. And a lot of people think he's just some young kid writing these words. But, but really, uh, history tells us and, and uh, theology tells us that, that King David and, and David probably most likely wrote this psalm later on in, in his life. Uh, many people probably say it was possibly during the rebellion. You can read about it in Second Samuel chapter 13 through 19 that it, he would write this psalm, 23rd Psalm, uh, during the rebellion of Absalom, which was a very uh, hard time in his life. And, and so this Psalm 23, even though words of encouragement and even though feel-good messages come through it, um, it's not a psalm that comes from like gushy 
immature, young boy love kind of deal. Like it's not like the song, the love songs of 2022 and 2020. Y'all hear some of the love, like they don't sing about nothing anymore. There's no deep like seated emotion in the love songs. It's just, can I get your number? Let me holler at you. Like all of this like crazy, right, stuff. And it's not like, uh, like oh, a letter Adams, like just get here. You can reach me on an airplane. Come on, you know that song? Anybody know that song? Cross the desert like an airman. Like she sings it like that, bro. And like the message of the song is like, I don't care how you get here, baby, just get here. Like, I mean, that's a love song right there, y'all. That, that is, uh, that's deep. And uh, or like one of my favorite love songs too. A lot of people attribute it to uh, Michael Bolton, but it was actually uh, Perry Sledge in 1966 that wrote the words. And like even the way it starts out, you can just feel the emotion. Like when a man loves a woman, like but bro, it's just on here. It just comes out of a place that you're like that person loves somebody, right? And uh, that was a good note. I don't think I've ever sung like that before in my life. And that was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Promise I cannot redo that. Uh, it was just, it like comes from a place that's different. And, and, and so that's the context of David as he writes this word. Not this young, immature, teenage boy, but now this older gentleman, right, who has faced some, he's been through some things in life. He's experienced some difficulties. He's gone through some, some hardships. And he writes these words to kind of remind us that, that God is just not some distant God who, who kind of just started the universe and walked away and, and doesn't care about you and doesn't care about our life and doesn't care what about, about what's going on in this world. But, but God is close to us. He cares for us. God, God wants to have a relationship with us. And so David pins these words in the 23rd Psalm. Again, not as a, as a psalm. Write this down in your notes. He writes these words not as a psalm of condolence but a psalm of confidence. That, that you and I can have confidence in, in who God is. We can have confidence in the nature of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And, and he really paints a picture, and, and, and many people and theologians still write about this and are back and forth of, of what this is, but a lot have agreed that he really paints a picture in the 23rd Psalm of God in two different contexts. And write them down, and I'm going to give them to you today. He first shows us God as my shepherd, and that's important. We're going to unpack that in a minute. But then, verse 5 and 6, he flips the script, and then he gives us a picture of God as our host. God as my shepherd, come on, say that with me. God as my shepherd, and say it with me the second one, and God as my host. And, and, and both kind of flow back and forth, but also have some differences if you begin to understand. Let's just kind of hop into Psalms 23. He says in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is the God as my shepherd portion of Psalms 23. And what he's showing us is that when God is my shepherd, he is the God of resource. David writes and he begins to show us that in this psalm, in this passage, in this verse, that this psalm speaks of God providing not for some, but for all of our need. That when it comes to the resources of God, when it comes to the, what he can do in my life and when it comes to what he can do through my life and when it comes to what he can do for my life, that there is no lack when it comes to God. We was talking two weeks ago in, in our small group my wife and I are in with some other couples here at Heartland. We're going through a book, and we was uh, talking in particularly about prayers and how we pray and, and, and what's, what's sometimes, and we was talking in the context of what are some limitations that we put on our prayers. And, 
a lot of people were saying some great things, and I spoke to them, and I said, I want to be honest, like, and I know I'm, I'm supposed to be the pastor in the room. I was like, but, but sometimes I put limitations on my prayers because of kind of how I see God's resources. And I know this is bad, and I constantly pray for myself. But, but for sometimes I will look and I'll say like, okay, oh, God, God did a miracle for you this week, and he healed you. Okay, well, I guess God's out of healings for the week. I can't pray for a healing anymore. Isn't that crazy? And, and I'll see somebody else like, oh, man, Tyler just got a new job, and, and God's blessing him financially. Things are going great. Well, I guess God's out of financial blessings for the week. Isn't that crazy? And I know you might judge me, but I'll be honest. If you really think about what we pray and how we pray, sometimes we act as if God lacks. We act as if, well, because he did it for them, I don't know he can, if he can do it for me. No, David comes and reminds us that when God is my shepherd, he's the God of resource, that there is no lack. That's why Paul could say in Philippians 4.19 with confidence, he says, but my God shall supply my needs, what, according to his riches and glory. That because when it's according to him, that there is no lack, there is no, there is no drain that, that runs out for God, that, that there is no lack of the resources that he has for me. So when I understand God as my shepherd the Lord is my shepherd I like nothing I have to remind myself he is the God of resource there is no lack there is no shortage there is nothing in my life that he cannot do because he does not have the supply and then he goes on after that he says he makes me lie down in green pastures and then he says he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake one translation says, and you was, as we was reading it, I said it almost, and you did as well. One translation, you've read it before, it says, he leads me beside still waters. And really, it's translated better to calm waters. Still waters, not stale waters. A lot of times we think in our life that God leads me to stale waters and there's no movement. Because what you've got to understand is even in calm waters, if you've ever been in a creek or you've ever seen it and on the top it's calm and you look at the bottom and you can see the grass just gently flowing, but you can see the grass still moving. Or you step in with your feet and you can feel the, the, the current a little bit, not a lot, but just a little bit on your ankles. What, what am I trying to tell you is, is he's showing us that, listen, even though, even though there's calm waters, there still must be movement in our life. And a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we want to get by stale waters. <laughs> oh, y'all are really saved this morning. We, we want to get in the place where, like, God, don't push me to move. God, God don't, don't, don't get me to let go of that attitude. God, don't, don't get me to let go of that unforgiveness. And sometimes, hear me this morning, because water brings refreshing, right? That's the symbolic uh, message, and that's the symbolic imagery of water. And, but for, for, reasons, for, for some of us in this morning, sometimes the reason we don't feel refreshed is not because we're too busy, but it's because we've just become too stale. Even in calm waters, there's still movement, right? Refreshing and movement, hear me this morning, write it down. Refreshing and movement go hand in hand. Well, I don't feel refreshed. Well, are you stale? I don't feel refreshed in my relationships. Well, have you let your marriage become stale? I don't feel refreshed in my mind. Have you mentally become stale? I made a, a pact with myself. This I don't, I don't like to read, but this year I've, and I know it's not a lot. My wife made fun of me when I told her I felt all good about myself. And I said, you know what? My New Year's resolution is I'm going to read one book a month. And she's like, honey, I'd read a book a day. And I'm like, whatever, man. And I was like, I'm going to do a month, okay? Just leave me alone. Why? Because I don't, want, I don't want my intellect to become stale because my intellect is part of that relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I often tell people, I say, show me somebody that, that has become stuck, and I'll show you how it is also someone that has allowed themselves to become stale.
We stop moving so we get stale in our hurts. We stop moving so we get stale in our bitterness. We stop moving so we get stale in our gifts and our talents. We're not using those things that God has placed in our life. And again, notice what he says. Notice he doesn't say he guides me, he leads me, and he guides me along the easy path or the popular path or the comfortable path. That's not where God leads me. He says he leads me and he, and he guides me along the what? The right path. The right path. The right path is sometimes uncomfortable. The right path is sometimes challenging. The right path sometimes stretches me emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And this is one thing I know that for sure is that God's guidance, hear me this morning, is not always easy or comfortable. Oh, I wish it was. God's guidance is not always easy or comfortable, but it is always for our ultimate good and his glory. I didn't say this in the first service, but I wonder sometimes some of us who's got some stories and we've been through some things and we've seen God show up and, and we get to the other side of our miracle, right? And we, and we celebrate the other side of our miracle. I wonder if God like would rewind it sometimes and show us though what we had to get to or what we had to go through in order to get to the miracle. I wonder how many times we'd say, no, I don't want that because I don't want to go through that journey. Now that's going to be uncomfortable. That's going to be uneasy. I might have to walk through that doctor's report. I might have to walk through that strained relationship. And God says, yeah, but on the other, I'm going to lead you along the right path because on the other, no, I don't know if I want to get to that. And sometimes we'll often miss out on what God has for us on the other side because we don't want to go through. Because he leads us. He doesn't say he throws us there. He leads us along the right path. So what? So then he shows the, the, the God of my shepherd. He's the God of resource. He's the God of refreshing. And then he says in verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will Fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is my shepherd is now in that context. He shows us the God of rest, the God of rest. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, he writes in the context, speaking of death, Paul said it like this, for me to live is Christ, to die is to gain, that basically as a Christ. As, as a Christ follower, as a believer, death is not scary. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is not scary. Death is the reward. Death is the completion. Death is the, is the celebration. He says that even though I walk through the darkest valley, yeah, we know that death can definitely be, be dark. But, but I wonder for you and I, what is your dark valley that you're walking through? Is it doubt? Is it life straining you? Is it, is it your own concerns? Is it worry? Is it fear? Is it relationships? He says, even though I walk through that dark valley, he's showing us it is God's presence that, that even, that doesn't remove the dark valley. Oh, I wish God would just sometimes come up and scoop me out of the dark valley and take me away. But he says, no, that even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I hit it, head on. It's God's presence that brings peace and comfort. It's God's presence that, that in the midst of a circumstance where I should not have joy, I can still walk around with a joyful song in my heart. It's God's presence that in the midst of hurt and hangups that people have done me wrong, it's his presence that comes along and guides me and I can still walk in forgiveness. It's his presence that brings comfort. It's God's protection that is tangible to you and I. That it extends to this emotional, mental, this spiritual dark valley. That God is always with us. That he, will, he told us he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And it's even during those difficult times that our shepherd comes alongside of us. 
He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lead down, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's a shepherd. He shows us the shepherd in that, that moment, that he's the God of resource, he's the God of refreshing, he's the God of rest. But, but then he switches context. And he goes from a shepherd to a, a host. Well, why? why? What, and what does it mean if we just read it all in a shepherd context? Does it still make sense? Yes, it does. But when you really understand what David is writing, oh, it comes alive in a whole other way. See, what you have to understand, if I could just give you a little historical context, what you have to understand is that in biblical times, the role and importance of a host varied upon the context. In general, right, when I say, like, hey, um, I want you to be a host at your home, you, in general, we know what we're probably talking about. All right, uh, some people's going to come over and hang out, uh, probably need to have some food, uh, you know, maybe, maybe have the house picked up a little bit, and maybe, you know, just maybe have, like, a, a welcoming environment, you know, maybe, maybe make them feel like they're home, right? That's kind of like the natural thing that we have in our mind. You know, I think of several families here. We do, we do youth events sometimes that, um, that we have that is just here local, and so instead of like staying in a hotel or going away, like we do one thing called stay treat, uh, and it's just a, a simple a simple uh, retreat that you stay here, you don't go nowhere. And, and but instead of sleeping at church because I have no desire to have an overnighter with a hundred teenagers, uh, we'll get host homes and. We just go crash in people's basements, and like Lori Pecula is here, and, and she always welcomes, you know, junior high girls in her home, and, and they always talk about, man, we walked in, she just made us feel at home, and it was cool, and I was telling the first service, like, I remember the first time we did it, a friend of mine and his wife, they come here, Josh's summer home, and I was like, hey, you know, you just built this beautiful home right down the road, you know, it's brand new, and, and you've got this beautiful basement that is, that is large, and hey, do you care if like some high school boys just come crash in your basement floor for the night. We'll leave early in the morning. We'll be back. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And Summer's like, no, I don't know about all of that. Uh, teenage boys, like, coming in my basement, like, being, you know, teenage boys are just dirty and they're loud. And, and, and I think of, like, the Bryans. Like, they open their home and their basement, you know, to the, to the junior high boy. And they got a hot tub. And they got this big old TV, that, a big old screen. They watch TV on a big old screen that, that they play video games on. And, and I remember the first time that Josh and Summer hosted us, uh, and Josh knows me very well. I walk downstairs in his basement. Ping pong table is already out. Paddles and, and the ping pong balls are laying there for us, ready to roll. I go over in the fridge. He's like, Matt, this is y'all's fridge. Anything in it, like water, Coke, Mountain Dew, like all of it's loaded. I look at the counter, and the counter has like a candy spread, y'all, that will make like any kid go crazy. And also me, because I love candy. I'm like, look at, and it's like my, not just candy. It's like Sour Patch Kids. That's my favorite candy. And like peanut butter M&Ms. I love them, too. And like he's got all of my favorite candy. And then I turn around. He goes, hey, don't worry. I knew you was coming. I already got the game on. 60-inch TV, boom, blurring the game. And I'm like, now that is a host right there waiting for me to show up. And this is the context now that David switches for us to understand this psalm, verse 5 and verse 6, is God is our host. But, but get this, but in the Old Testament, the role of a host was particularly important in the context of the Israelite community. Matter of fact, if you study history and you study the Israelite community in the Old Testament, hospitality 
uh, in the Old Testament was actually seen as a sacred duty. And therefore, there's specific laws and customs that related to showing hospitality, not to your friends, but to strangers and to travelers. Because again, we think like, oh yeah, I'll host my friends. This is the context of hosting strangers and and just passerbys and travelers. Matter of fact, write it down this week, go study. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34 and 30, or 33 and 34. I don't have time to read it all, but, but what this is, is God, it's God's command in Leviticus to the Israelites that basically tells them like, hey, when a stranger shows up in your city, this is how you should treat them. This is what you should do. Because again, I immediately said host, we're like, oh, I get it. All my friends coming over. No, 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 no. He's saying like strangers, people you don't even know. This is the context David writes. So, so God lays out these, these customs. A good, um, go read the story this week. A good New Testament uh, analogy of this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Some of y'all know it. Right, the guy gets beat up, mugged. Right, he's left for dead. People pass him by. And the Good Samaritan sees him, goes over to him, picks him up. Right? Y'all know the story. Washes his wounds off, takes him to the hotel to the inn, and he tells the innkeeper, hey, anything he needs, put it on my dime. Put it on my dollar. Needs food, needs water, you let him stay as long as he wants. I'm giving you the context of what he writes. And in the New Testament, the role of the host was also significant. You begin to read about the ministry and the life of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus and his disciples often stayed with hosts during their travels. And, and the Bible records many instances to where Jesus would show up in a city and his, his disciples would show up in a city and they're, they're being welcomed by hosts, bringing food and water and, and shelter. And, and additionally, the early church homes, many, many were held in homes and the host of those homes, the host of those gatherings, they were, they were responsible for providing the space, they were responsible for providing the resources, they were responsible for doing everything it would take in order to bring the community together. So I tell you to, to paint the picture for us to understand, so overall in biblical times, being a host was not just seen as a friendly gesture, but it was a social duty and also a religious one that they experienced. And it wasn't just for the people I knew, it was for anyone that went through my city. It's for anyone that went through my neighborhood. So when we understand God as our host in this context, it, it can change the way we read. I'm going to show it to you. It can change the way we read the rest of this psalm. He goes to verse 5. Watch this. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Now he's given us a picture of God as our shepherd. Now he switched the context. Now he's going to show us God as our host. You prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemy. He's going to talk about, he's going to show us that God is the God of protection. And I know some of you who are so biblically smart, you will say already, oh, hey, Pastor Matt, we already talked about this and read that he's my protector because he said your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me, they protect me. In the context of a shepherd, many people would talk about the rod and the staff that protected the flock, and that is very well the case. But in the context of a host, it even goes even, it even, goes even more and makes something even uh, bigger brighten up and lighten up in our mind because now he's going to highlight to us God's care and God's protection in the presence of where? In the presence of where? My enemy. So just as a host, now watch. Just as a host provides food and shelter for their guests, God, he says, also provides food and shelter for us. He provides for our needs. We talked about that. He's our provider. There is no lack in his resources. But, but now he, he's going to show us 
the God that is our host, that he's a God of protection. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies that even though I feel like I'm surrounded, I can sit down and relax. Even though I feel like circumstances have me overwhelmed, because God is my host, I can sit down and get exactly what I need from him. I can sit down and get the nourishment, physically speaking in this picture, but spiritually speaking, the nourishment. And it's not just a spiritual protection. It's also an earthly protection. He's highlighting how God can protect us from those around us, the enemy, other people, people, culture, our own thought processes, but how God can protect us from those around us who would seek to harm us. Whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional enemies. I'll give you the example. Genesis chapter 19, go read it this week. Genesis chapter 19, it's a story of Lot, story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know how crazy that city was. We know what happens to that city. Newsflash, go, go study what happened. They've now discovered a city that looks like an atomic bomb went off, and they said, we don't know how this city destroyed, but there's destruction everywhere, and there's sulfur. There's things that they only find in space that is on top of this hillside. It's so crazy. It's crazy how archaeology actually backs up what the Bible says. It's pretty cool. Um, and so, so they've now discovered this city, and they're, they're pretty sure that this is the place, and I don't know why we see these, these uh, substances from space now on this hillside. Well, we know. Fire rained down from heaven. Duh. Hello. Go read the Bible. I can tell you why it's there. But, but so, so Lot, the two angels of the Lord in Genesis 19 show up to warn Lot to tell his family what's going on. And, uh, and Lot says, listen, you need to come in my house. This city's crazy. They're nuts. People's crazy everywhere. People just doing crazy stuff. So I need you, I need you to get in my house. And, and so Lot brings these two messengers of the Lord into his house, and he begins to feed them. And he's giving them what they need. And the Bible says, go read it this week in Genesis chapter 19, that, that the city knows that there's visitors there, that they show up to Lot's house. Hey, yo, Lot, we know you got somebody in there banging on the door. Lot, we know somebody's in there. Lot's like, shh, they don't know you're in here. And they're like, Lot, we know somebody's in there. And the Bible says that Lot comes to the door, and he, and he comes to the door, and he kind of steps outside of the door and closes the door behind him and stands uh, between the enemy and the angels that are in his house. Now, I'm not trying to be crude. Go read the story in Genesis chapter 19. We know that what they were wanting to do to those two gentlemen in the house was not godly, was not safe at all. Matter of fact, Genesis chapter 19 says that they was wanting to sexually assault these two, these two uh, messengers of the Lord. So Lot goes and he stands. Now watch, this is the host. He's their host, right? He brought them in the house, gave them something to eat. Now he goes and he stands in front of the door to protect who's in the house from the enemy that's outside of the house. All right, two of y'all got this. I'm going to give it to you and break it down a little bit more. He, he, this is what David is showing us, is that God as our host, this is what God does for us. That he invites us into his presence. That he invites us into his house. And when we get there, it doesn't necessarily mean the enemy goes away because the enemy still wants to get at us. The enemy still wants to fight us. But what does God do through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross? He begins to step outside of the door and he looks back and he says, listen, you can't get them right now because they're in my presence. You can't get them right now because they're in my house. That's my son. That's my daughter. I know you got ill will. I know you got plans to harm them. But can I tell you, I'm going to stand and I'm going to protect. You, you're not going to be able to get to them because they're under my protection right now. Do you see the picture? 
He says, you, 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 you give me a spread. You spread out a table before me. So even when the enemy is outside acting crazy, y'all, Joe, I can sit on the inside and still t- stuff my face in the presence of God. I can stuff my joy. I can stuff my peace. I, I can have everything that I need. Why? Because he's my host. He's there protecting me. And, and then he goes on and he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. God is my host. He's, he's my protection, and then he's going to show us he's the God of peace. Re- reading it in the context of the shepherd again, which many people do, and, and, it's, and I think it's still applicable, and it works. They, they talk of, of the shepherd that would take the oil for the sheep and, w- and would pour oil over the sheep's head. They did it for several reasons, to, to number one, help any scars or wounds, it was almost like a healing sensation over the lamb's head. They would, they would do it to, to kind of soothe them. They would do it. There was these flies and gnats that would get in, a, in sheep's ears and would basically begin to cause them to go crazy and kind of basically beat at the, eat at their brain on the inside. And, and so this oil was, was an oil that the shepherd would, would put over a sheep to protect it from infection and, and diseases and flies and, and help, with, help heal scars. And, and I think that context could definitely be fitting here. But reading it in the context of a host, he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So I'm in his house, and he's protecting me. I'm in his house, and he's keeping the enemy out from getting to me. And he says, now you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The picture we see is in Luke chapter 7. Jesus and his disciples show up in a city. And and he's sitting with some religious people, and they're about their business, and and in busts a woman who begins to anoint his head with oil and anoint his feet with oil, and the religious people get mad. Like, why are you letting her do this? You know who she is. You know her past. You know her story. And Jesus is like, well, none of you did what a good host would do. None of you anointed me as soon as I showed up. This is the context David gives them. The the anointing of oil in in this context, the anointing of oil from a host, you got to think that that as a traveler would come into your city, as a passerby would enter into your home, they must be tired. They they must be weary. I mean, it's in the Middle East that they travel. The sun has been beating down on them. They're drained physically. Their skin may be a little charred from from all of the sun just constantly beating on them. Their feet dusty and dirty and maybe chafed, maybe scrapes, maybe maybe wounds on their feet because it's just some dirt, rocky roads that they would walk. And so he says, you as a host, God, you anoint my head with oil. The cup, my cup runs over. It's it's oil, not just of protection, but this is oil of refreshing. It's this oil of renewing, this oil of of soothing, of soothing, this oil of restoration that life has beat me down. Life has drained me. I've been cut. I've been wounded by the things that I've been walking on. But as I come into your presence, as I get into your house, you anoint me with oil and I feel restored. I feel the dryness of life that has just zapped me of everything I have. I feel your oil begin to soothe and refresh my skin. I feel the wounds of my Feet begin to be healed. Why? Because he anoints my head with oil. It's this content. Do you see it? Of this host. And and then he takes it a step further. He says, my cup runneth over. In tradition, when a host showed up, 
Don't y'all be trying this on me either when, when I come and visit you. But when, when a host showed up or when a host had someone in their home, if they went to give you something to drink and they stopped it from the top, that was their symbolic way of letting you know, I don't want you to stay here very long. Now I know, Dad, that's why you only fill my coffee cup up a little bit when I come and visit you. It's terrible. But, but if, they, if they begin to give you something drink, to drink and the oil or, the, or the, whatever the beverage is overflowed out of the cup, it was their symbolic way to let you know you can stay as long as you need to. You're welcome here as long as you, as you can. For Friday night, we went over to my mom and dad's for my nephew's birthday party. We're hanging out having a good time, and Sunshine, you know, my sister and, and their daughter, Sunshine is one of the most loving people that you'll ever meet, but Sunshine also has a schedule in her life, and she don't want nobody messing up her schedule. So we ate dinner, and we're hanging out, and Tyler, 6 o'clock comes, Sunshine gets up from the table, I ain't never seen her do this before, and she goes over to the kitchen, starts cleaning up the whole kitchen by herself. Now she'll help, I've seen her help, but to do it by herself, I can probably name three times on one hand that I've ever seen her do this. She goes up by herself, she's loading the dishwasher, and she's angry. You know, you know what I'm talking about, ladies, we do this, and husbands, we can do this. You know when you angrily load the dishwasher? Like, I wish somebody would get out of my house right now. Like, I wish somebody would. Like, and you just slamming stuff down? And I'm like, sunshine, what's... Like, there's no leftovers because the food done been packed up. You can't go back for seconds. Leftovers been packed up, put away, and I go over. I'm like, sunshine, what's up? She goes, it's 6 o'clock. I need you to get out of my house. And I was like, whoa, sunshine. <laughs> I was like, huh, we're for a birthday party. Like, I want some more food. No, nah, ain't no more food. It's gone. Put it in the fridge. You need to get up out of my house. I got 6 o'clock. I need to wash my hair. I, got, I need to go take a bath. And she's got a schedule. I got to do all of this. And I know her well enough. Sunshine loves sparkling grape juice, right? And it's, it's my thing and it's her thing. And I always say, like, hey, you got a bottle laying around? Don't make fun of me. We're not alcoholics. But this is what I say to her. Hey, you got a bottle laying around? So she's getting all huffy. And I'm like, hey, you got a bottle in, in here? Her, her eyes are like, she goes, Bubby, I got three bottles right over there. <laughs> I go in the closet. Then I sunshine. I go in the closet. I grabbed a bottle. I popped that, popped that bad boy open. I went and brought out two, uh, two glasses. It's sparkling grape juice, y'all. Don't be judging me. It's sparkling grape juice. And, and I poured a little bit, I just, just a little bit, you know, and I, and I just like swigged it really fast. I poured her a little bit. She swigged really fast. She put it down. She goes, let's go again. Do some more. I was like, all right, cool. I did a little bit. I go, we, we getting ready to leave. You know, we just a little bit more. We did a little bit more. She did a little bit more. She put it down. She goes, fill it up. Fill it up. And so she, I filled hers up, filled mine up. Within five minutes, you should see the video. Miss Rhonda, she took a video of it. I didn't realize it. She's over there laughing. She's cutting. Within five minutes, we smashed this bottle of sparkling grape juice. And by the end, she goes, Bubby, you can stay as long as you want. You can stay as long as you want. Her cup began to overflow in her life, right? And listen, this is, this is the context that, that David is giving us. That when we go into his presence, he anoints us with oil. And listen, this is what we do. Oh, we're good. Sometimes we come in and we feel beaten down by life and we feel like we've messed up and we've made a mistake. So we're good enough to know that we can run to God and he anoints us and he soothes us and he refreshes us. But we think we got to hurry up and get out because I've been bad. Or we think we got to hurry up and get out because he doesn't have what I need. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God says, listen, you don't have to run from my presence. You don't have to just come in and get what you need and get out of here. He says, I welcome you in to stay as long as you need. I'll welcome you in to, to get everything that you need. I welcome you in to enjoy my presence. I don't have to run in and rush out, but when I get in God's presence, oh, I'm welcome to stay. 
It's not just a Sunday morning thing. This is an everyday thing. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My, my cup runs over that he's always nurturing. He's always sustaining us. Even in difficult times, he's this God of peace. And then he goes on even further. In verse 6, he says, surely your goodness and mercy, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Oh, I love it. You go read about the life of Job. We know his story and what he went through. Very wealthy, very, very prestigious man. God, God gives him back everything that he had plus some after he lost it all. But history tells us, and, and history as you study, some people, many people agree that Job in, in Old Testament history was, is portrayed as probably one of the most proactive people of the Bible when it comes to being a host and when it comes to having hospitality, particularly to strangers. According to tradition, many people believe that, that Job um, was so determined to be prepared for any traveler who might pass by. The tradition says, and, and history says some, that, that he kept 30 tables spread, full spread at all times. 30 tables waiting for somebody to come by. Not for his friends. It was strictly, exclusively for strangers. You begin to look in the Hebrew scriptures. I'll give them to you fast because I got to hurry and you can go read about it. But, but there's many of the model hosts in the Hebrew scriptures that, that watch this. They don't simply wait for hospitality to show up. They pursue it themselves. Go read Genesis chapter, write it down. Go read Genesis chapter 18 verse 2 through 5. The Bible tells us that Abraham seizes guests from a distance and he runs out to meet them. In Genesis 19, 1 and 3, again, I just told you a lot. He first encounters the messengers of the Lord. He says, come to my house. And they're like, no, we're, just, we're not going to stay. And he goes, no, 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 please. The Bible says that he begs, he pleads. He pleads with them, please come stay with me. He strongly urges them to come. Uh, Genesis 24 and 29, the Bible says that Laban ran out to greet Abraham's servant. 2 Kings 4 and 8, the Shunammite woman pursues Elisha. A beautiful New Testament imagery of this is the prodigal son, the, the father. Now remember when, the, when he sees his son from a distance? He doesn't wait at the doorstep. The Bible says that he did what? That he took off running after him. That he pursued him. He says, listen, it's surely, it's your goodness and your mercy that follows me. In addition, when you begin to look, Paul, that's why Paul would write it in Romans chapter 12. Paul would write it like this to the Roman Christians. He would say, pursue hospitality as a manifestation of love. Don't wait for it to find your doorstep. You get off your doorstep and you go find it. That's what he said. And so this is the imagery. This is what David writes. He says, he's showing us that he's the God, as a host, he's the God of pursuit. Oh, I love this. That God doesn't just stand waiting for you and me to show up. God doesn't just stand waiting for you and me to get into his presence. God doesn't just stand waiting for you and I to come back to him and say, man, you know what, God, I, I really messed up. And man, you know what, God, I really blew it on, on this relationship. You know what, God, that this mindset I have, it's not right. You know what, God, there's, there's sin. The, it's this imagery that he's showing us. That It's this picture that God chases after us. 
that God pursues us. It's this emphasis on God's hospitality and his generosity. And again, when does David write this? He writes this not as a young boy. He writes this as an older man. So he looks back over his life. He probably sees the David and Goliath moment. Oh, that was an amazing moment. He probably sees the lion and the bear. Oh, that was an amazing moment. But now he's writing as, a, as his son Absalom is giving him grief. He's writing and he probably thinks back of when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. When he had her husband killed. Oh, my Lord, that was a terrible moment. And so he writes back and he says, when I look back on my life, I don't see the skeletons in my closet coming after me. Do you hear me this morning? When I look back on my life, I don't see my past mistakes coming after me. When I look back over my life, I don't see my sins chasing me. I don't see the family legacy that people tried to put on me coming after me. I don't see the, the, the mental uh, attitudes that I have coming after me. He says, when I look back, surely it's your goodness. Surely it's your mercy that's chasing. I thought I could get away from you, but you still pursued me. I thought I could leave you, and yet your hand still came out after me. It was your goodness. It was your mercy that chased after me. It was your goodness. It was your mercy that pulled me back in. When I thought I was unlovable, God, you reminded me you can still love me. When I thought I couldn't be used anymore, God, God, you showed me you still wanted to use me when I thought I was done and when I thought you was going to throw in the towel. It was your hand that chased after me again. He said it was your goodness. Do you see it? The host. It's your goodness that just like the people in the Bible would go and chase people in the street. Now, don't do it today. You might free people out running down the street after somebody coming in your neighborhood. But in the Bible days, when they would enter in your city and someone was so excited to have you in their home, that they would chase after you, this is how God is to you. That he's so excited to have you in his presence. That he's so excited. Isn't that what he did with Jesus? We couldn't get to him, so what did he do? He came down to us. That he was so excited to have a relationship. He says, surely your goodness and mercy, not my past, not my regrets, not my mistakes, it's your goodness and mercy that chases after me. The God of pursuit. And then, oh, this is, my, this is my favorite part. He says, surely your goodness and mercy and your goodness and love will follow me all the days of life. And what does he say? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. When? Forever. Come on, Lindsay. David's words certainly provide this ironic contrast. Rather than the enemies, remember, you spread a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's not his enemies chasing him. It's not life chasing him. It's God. And he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The better and more literal translation of this Greek word here really reads like this. And I will return to the house of the Lord forever. I will return to the house of the Lord forever. God is my host. See, here, here's the cool thing about the host, if I could take you back to the Bible times. Well, once you stopped into a city, and, and once you were welcomed, and you hung out with someone in their home, and they became your host, from that day on, there was a long-term relationship established. That, that every time you would return to that city, that it would be that host and their hospitality 
If I was ever in that region, that's the place I go to. I will return to your house. Tyler, I'll be back in a little bit, but when I come back through here from a missionary trip, I'll be at your house. It, it, it would be like me visiting, right, somewhere. I'll give you an example. It would be like me when I go down to Indianapolis. My, my wife has a sister that lives there. And I have a sister-in-law, brother-in-law. And every time we go to Indianapolis, we don't go to Hotels.com, Booking.com. We don't go to Airbnb. We don't go to Expedia. I know where I'm going to stay because I have a house there. I have someone who will host me there. So when I ever go, I, I, I go down to Indianapolis, particularly on that side of town, even if I'm just passing through by myself, I don't need to look for a hotel. My sister and my brother-in-law say, you got a bed right here. You can crash. We'll feed you. We'll do all of that stuff. This is the picture he has given us. It's this pattern of returning to the host home. It's this pattern that David pins. There's a similar pattern, pattern in, in the New Testament when Paul writes to Philemon, his former host. And he says these words in Philemon. Go read it this week. He says, hey, get the guest room ready. I'm coming. I'll be there. I've been there before. I know how you took care of me when I was there last time. We have a good relationship. I'm coming back again. And so watch this. So once the relationship was established, it was a given to what house you would stay in when you were in town. There was no need to ask. There was no need to search. There was no need to look. There was no need to wonder, where am I going to get water? Where am I going to get food? You knew exactly where your resources, you knew exactly where your host would be. And what? This is the craziest thing. Not only would they take care of you while you were there. Oh, this is the best part. That a host would not only give you food and water and shelter while you were there, they would also give you everything you needed in order to get you to your next destination. Ha, did you see it? So they would say, hey, here's your water, Matt, but you know what, I, I got you another jug because I know your journey's a little bit far till you get to the next house, for, so here's your water till you get there. Here's your food till you get there. You know what, I know there's probably, you're going to have to be sleeping out in the wilderness. Here's a tent that you might have to drape over you in case it rained. A host would understand that not only was their job to resource you now, but it was to give you what you needed to get you to your next destination. That's why I call this message everything I need. Because David pins these words and he shows us that God is a God, yes, of resource. God is a God of my shepherd, but God as a God of host. God is a God of host in my life that I can know that when I go to his house, I don't have to run or I don't have to be nervous about the enemies because he stands there and he protects me. When I go to his house, he gives me the resources that I have. He refreshes me. He anoints me with oil. I'm able to stay as long as I need to. I don't have to run. I don't have to hide. He chases after me. And then because I understand that, watch I know that anytime I need to get back I'm always welcome see some of you think God is just a one-stop shop some of you think you can go to God and just get what you need and well I don't know if I can come back and you miss out that God is a heavenly father that his arms stay stretched wide open that you can run to whenever you need him you can come back to him whenever you need him you can go to him for every resource you can go to him for the joy you can go to him for the peace everything that you need is found in the house of the Lord not the literal house, but the house of the Lord, the presence of God. 
He understood if I could just get to the house of the Lord. He understood if I could just get to his presence. That's what he's trying to show us. Listen, God has exactly what I need. If I could just get to his presence, he's going to take care of me. If I could just get to his presence, he's going to protect me. If I could just get to his presence, he's going to anoint me. If I can get to his presence, I'm going to be welcome as long as I need to. If I can just get to his presence, I'll return back. If I can get to his presence, he has what I need for today, but he also has what I need for tomorrow. If I get to his presence, there is no dark valley that is too deep. There is no mountain that is too high. There is no enemy that is too strong. There is nothing that he cannot overcome. If I get to his presence, I don't see judgment. I don't see wrath. If I get to his presence, I don't see hate. I don't see anger. If I get to his presence, his goodness and his mercy washes over me. And under the old covenant, watch, under the old covenant, the sheep always died for the shepherd. Under the new covenant, Brother Ernie, the shepherd died for the sheep. Do you get it? Under the new covenant, the shepherd, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, laid down his life. Why? Because he wanted us to understand, if I could get to his presence, he's my host. And what you got to understand, many people agree, stand with me. That Psalm 23 would become a psalm that they would read on the pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. Now, now let me wrap this box up for you and put a nice little bow on it. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness. He, he prepares a table, right? He's writing all these words. Prepares, prepares a table and presents up my enemy. He anoint my head with oil. My cups overflow. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will not dwell. I will return. Why? Because I know he's got what I need. And so on this pilgrimage now, watch, the nation of Israel, wherever they were from, as they would head back to Jerusalem, which is where the house of the Lord was at one time, where they would go and worship, where they would experience his presence, they would be on a pilgrimage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. There was Psalms that they would begin to quote. He restores my soul. And, and they would ultimately get to the city of Jerusalem, and there would be the house of the Lord, the temple where they believe the presence dwell. And that's where the presence of the Lord dwell. For us, it doesn't dwell in the building which we have accessible through Jesus Christ. So, so they would get, watch this, because this makes us come alive in a whole new way. They would get to the temple, but up to the temple were steps. And, and if you go read Psalms 120, I believe to 134, you will look, it says, the Psalms of Ascent, meaning as they would send, ascend up the steps to the temple, to the presence of God, they would begin to read these psalms. David wrote four of them. Ten of them are anonymously, uh, and, and a couple of them they attribute to Solomon. So the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cups overflow. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? Return. Where are they going? To the house of the Lord. And they would get, give me Psalms 120, they would get to 
They would get to the temple and then they would say, I call on the Lord in my distress. And he answers me. Now they're going up the steps to his presence. And he answers me, save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides you, you deceitful tongue? Come on with me. Come on with me. He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrow and with burning coals of the broom bush. Go ahead. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Come on, keep going with me. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. They would go, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Come on, go ahead. Then they would go to Psalms 121. They would step out again. So I lift my eyes to the mountains, to the, to the presence that I'm about to be in. Where does my help come from? Come on. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Come on, keep going. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. They're headed to the temple. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Come on, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over you. And then they would get, the Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Then they would get to Psalms 122. They see the presence. They see the temple. They said, I rejoice with those, David wrote. When they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because it's at our feet are standing at the gate now. We're in Jerusalem. Go ahead. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. For them, they understood that it's the presence. This is where the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. To what? To praise the name. He says, when I look back over my life and I see your goodness and I see your mercy, he says, I'm inclined to return to your house. And so when I get to your house, I'm not scared. When I get to your presence, I'm not afraid. When I get to your presence, I'm not fearful. But I'm glad when they say to me, let let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm glad when they say to me, let us get in his presence. Why? Because he is my host. Because he has everything that I need. And he has everything that I need in this moment. And he has everything that I need going forward. And listen, if you and I don't understand that, we'll find ourselves running to everything else. We'll find ourselves running to everything else. We'll find ourselves going into the presence, not just the church, fearful. We'll find ourselves going into his presence, afraid. But, but David said, no, I was glad when they said to me, let me get to the house of the Lord. Why? Because inside there is everything I need. Inside there, inside of his presence, is everything I've been looking for. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.